There it goes, deep into center field. Way, way back goes Matty Alou, and that ball is in astro orbit. And the little dynamo, the toy cannon, now has 76 runs batted into the year. What a shot. Hello and welcome to the Toy Cannon Cannon. Jacob, we made it. Yes, we did. We made it to episode 10. And we've been, we've been in talks for a few weeks now about doing something special for episode 10. I think we have a pretty cool idea, so it should be a lot of fun. We've got Alex Murphy alongside us. This will either be Alex's first or second appearance on the podcast, depending on if I finish editing and uploading our Canon Classics rewatch. If this episode beats that episode out, then this will be Alex's first episode on the podcast. But hopefully that will be out soon, and if not, this will be your chance to get to know Alex, and then he'll be a returning guest on Canon Classics. Hey, what's up, Murph? Oh, nothing much. It's Matt Wilson, who's been on the pod, I believe. A little socially distant birthday gathering. We played some badminton. We sat in some lawn chairs six feet apart. I wiped Jacob out. wiped out on the mud. Covered myself in mud. <laughs> but it's all for the win and all for the team. And I laid it all yeah. on the line. We got the dub. It's, it's not sports if Jacob doesn't wipe out on the mud somehow. Yeah, honestly, yes. Although, Mr. Murphy, we have a birthday rapidly approaching. Yes, the big two-one for me. On today's episode, we're going to do a, a, a little bit of a, a, a you know, departure from our traditional toy cannon, cannon model. Um, one of the things that brings you know, Vic, Alex, and I together is the fact that we are all part of the same fantasy baseball league, the National Pie League, which, of course, I am the commissioner of. I started in third grade. Murphy was one of the founding members. Vic was an expansion member when we got to high school. But it's been you know, one of the core, core elements of my friend group, almost all the guests we've had. Well, Murphy, often the bridesmaid, never the bride, is now holding his trophy to, to show me that I, in fact, uh, was not able to get the job done this year. In fact, this was my worst season perhaps ever. Matt is probably the GOAT of NPL, which is controversial. But about two not, years wait, wait, ago, wait, 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 we are not even going to talk about the fact that this was my best season yet. We can talk about it. We can talk about it. But, 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 um, you lost in the finals. What can I say? Lost. But for those who want to become our aspiring NPL historians, Matt is probably the GOAT. About two years ago, Matt and I faced off in the finals, each with two titles apiece. Winner was going to claim GOAT status, and Matt took it home for his, third, for his third championship. So Matt's on three right now. I'm on two. And then there's a bunch of other one-time winners dating all the way back to when we were in fourth grade. And we're hoping that there can be a season this year. But if there cannot be a season this year, never fear, because we are doing a dr- different kind of fantasy draft today on the podcast. Before, before we get to that, we're going to just say that I'm an expansion owner and not even the engineer of the most historic merger in NPL history. It, is, it was a merger. It was a merger. I, there were two competing leagues, and I'm glad the NPL name went out, but, uh, but some of the best owners from Vic's Picks uh, Fantasy Baseball we were able to adopt them into the fold. Yeah, we go to Jacob Murphy, their league, and my league pretty much went to, all went to the separate middle schools from our district. And so when we met at Stoga, um, pretty much we ended up merging the fantasy leagues from each middle school. And I think we're at four of the 12 owners now. Three, four, who is it? Me, Sam, Hayden. That's it. it? That's yeah, it. Three. That's it. If someone drops out, we might get a fourth because there are definitely some people on the waiting list. Oh, for sure. 
But NPL has, has one fun wrinkle that I know Alex Murphy detests. Uh, I, I would like to bring that to the airwaves, uh, at least in the short term. What we did when we were in third and fourth grade, because the draft would take so long, we wanted to draft in person. My dad was the one who was like running the draft. So he was the one like controlling the draft board and, and all that stuff. And it would just take so long that what my dad decided to do to speed up the draft is we would have a hitter's draft and a pitcher's draft and you would draft at the same time on both draft boards, and you would just have the inverse of your picks. So if you had the first hitter pick, you had the last pitcher pick. If you had the last hitter pick, you'd have the first pitcher pick, all the way down the line. And it's created some interesting strategical wrinkles throughout the years, probably not for the best, but it is something that we have done to this day because, I don't know, I feel like it's what makes the league special, uh, even if it is not the smartest policy to pursue. I'll be honest, it makes it easier. It makes it a lot easier. Although it's interesting, the last couple of years, I think the pre-draft has become harder because of it, because you're trying to trade picks across drafts, which is often a much harder trade to kind of sell, right? If I'm trading my second pitcher and my fourth hitter for a third hitter or something, it's like you, it, it's much tougher to balance value across the two drafts. The hitter draft tends to be more valuable than the pitcher draft. You can usually get a first-round pitcher plus for your first-round hitter. Quite a bit plus, actually. Matt trades a lot in the draft. Yeah. yeah. Well, Murphy yeah. always trades a lot because yeah, Murphy, you can count on me to trade my pitcher picks because pitcher yeah, Murphy hates to draft pitchers. He just doesn't draft them, so he trades all his pitcher picks for hitter picks, basically. Well, that's because Murphy is the uh, champion of streaming. He is the champion of streaming, uh, but you cannot pitcher stream in this draft. You're going to have to take your five starters, Murphy. Well, what we are doing today is an idea that Vic had and he showed with us a few weeks ago, which is to do a wine cellar draft. For those of you kind of unfamiliar with that concept, the idea is you are drafting vintages of a player. So it's a big vintage, uh, you know, 1921 Babe Ruth, 2001 Barry Bonds. You're not getting their whole career. You're just getting that one season. You're getting that production of the one season. We're going to take all of their seasons. We're going to draft teams from them, and then I am going to put our teams into out-of-the-park baseball, and I am going to sim some sort of a round-robin tournament type thing, and we will see who emerges as the champion of that. I, I do, I should say, though, that while doing this was my idea, the concept itself, definitely not. This is a Bill Simmons thing. Um, I shamelessly ripped that from him since... This whole podcast is pretty much built on a foundation of theft. So why not add to the why not add to the bedrock we've already created? So we've added a few wrinkles to the draft. Uh, one of the key wrinkles is that you cannot draft multiple players from the same team. So if I draft Babe Ruth, no other Yankees are available to me. I can't take any Yankees. Another rule that we added recently, you have to have one player from every decade from 1900 to 2020. So that should be an interesting wrinkle. There's 12 decades. We have to have one player from each decade, at least one player from each decade. Uh, you cannot draft players from before 1900, and you can't draft other vintages of the same player. So if I take 2001 bonds, it's not like they can go and take other bonds. seasons. Bonds as an entity is off the board. That's the main stuff about it. Vic, I don't know if you have any other rules. Um, oh, we should go over the rosters. So we're going to have 20 rounds. You get not a full 25-man roster, but you get five starting pitchers, 
three in your bullpen and your pitchers in their bullpen have to be or have to for the season you picked them for have been relief pitchers whereas the and the starters that you pick they have to have been starting pitchers for that season that you pick them for so you have eight pitchers total and then you have eight starting fielders so you know just all the positions and they have to be in that position that they played most for the year the only exceptions there are in the outfield as long as you have a case like, hey, I'm going to put Willie Mays in right field, you know, that works. But if you're like, okay, I'm going to put Babe Ruth in center, that's, that, that's not going to fly. And that's going to be reflected in the simulation as well. So that's 16. you got eight fielders. You add one DH. And I think we're going with your DH had to have played DH that year, have to, had to have mainly played DH that year, right? Yeah, I, I, was, I was torn on that, but I think it kind of adds an interesting wrinkle and will let some guys who had great seasons be drafted who might not otherwise have been drafted. Emphasizes the importance of the designated hitter, which has had a, you know, a pretty profound impact on the game and is probably going to be a league-wide thing you know, pretty soon. That's 17, and then to round it up to 20, you get three bench batters, three utility guys whose positions are, you know, your prerogative. Whether you take a catcher infielder, outfielder, whether you take whatever you want, those three bench guys, they don't have positional limits. So that's, those are the 20 you need. They span every decade, and they have to come from 20 different franchises. Yes. So if I pick someone from the Washington Senators, the first version of the Washington Senators, then that's my twins pick. And so the next thing that must be done is we have to determine the draft order. We're lucky to have our official NPL lottery correspondent, Alex Murphy, a.k.a. the man with a bingo set. Uh, we'll be doing the draft lottery. He took out his bingo machine for us. We were just going to do it online, but we figured it'd be fun to do it with the bingo machine. So we each have a number. There's just one number. There's three balls in the bingo machine. And whichever number comes out first, we'll have the first pick. Second, we'll have the second pick. And the last number, we'll have the third pick. Jacob is number 22. Jacob is number 38. And I have number 67. All right. It is 67. I'm sorry for rigging the lottery, but I get the first pick. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's the worst thing. 22. So right. me. And Jacob, with his number 38, is picking third. All right. Let's get the draft underway. Alex Murphy is on the clock. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. So just like in regular fantasy baseball, there is such a thing as position scarcity. And while he might not have the greatest season of all time, I think we're going to have to go with Rogers Hornsby's 1924 when he was playing second base. This is something that I wanted to do. I was going to also take Rogers Hornsby if I had one one because he's just so much better than all the other second basemen. Yeah. I would have taken 1922 Rogers Hornsby. I know that other Hornsby season had a higher war, but like the slash line on 22 Hornsby is just ridiculous. I guess, but the man hit 424. I'll take I'll take the 1924 version. Oh, oh, I mean, yes, Rogers Hornsby. There's no bad vintage of Rogers Hornsby in that era. I mean, he was just. I mean, he is maybe the all-time great baseball player if it's not for Babe Ruth. Uh, 22 Hornsby hit 401 with 42 homers, which is just insane. Like your version of Hornsby only at 25 homers, but you really can't go wrong either way. Yeah. 
He did not win the MVP that year. He only got. Seven. I don't think the MVP existed. No, well, oh no, twenty four. No, it did, but he he only won. Uh, he he had a lot of insane seasons where he did not win the MVP. I'm glad you brought up Rogers Hornsby first because the stre- the Rogers Hornsby stretch that I just absolutely adore and that I love talking about is comes a little bit after you know his 424 season in 24, um, which is just the most insane crooked batting average that you could imagine. But the next year he wins the MVP, and then after that he commences a four-year stretch um, in which he plays for four different teams, St. Louis, and then the Giants, and then Boston, you know, uh, the Braves, Boston's NL team, and then the Cubs, four different teams. And he averages over that time a 1041 OPS. He only has one, like the, only with the Cardinals, which is why he gets traded after that year because he was a pretty cantankerous guy and he posted an 851 OPS after one, two, three, four, five straight seasons of a thousand plus. So then he goes to the Giants and then he's so disagreeable that he gets traded year after year, but for those four seasons is averaging like an OPS plus of 170 a fucking insane four-year stretch where he played for four different teams. Like he was averaging eight and a half war over that four-year stretch, but he didn't stick to a, to a team. It, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, across the board, it's just a crazy, crazy yeah, he, he has He has the craziest baseball reference page. So I'm not necessarily surprised that he went first overall. Yeah, I mean, and, and also just in terms of draft strategy, there are not many, you know, 12 plus war seasons in baseball history. In fact, there are only five. And his is the only one that is, I mean, he's the only one in the top 20 in terms of war seasons that wasn't done by an outfielder. So, you know, the, in terms of positional scarcity, it's certainly a good pick. That means Vic is on the clock. These are kind of tough. And where I'm leaning here is also sort of on the positional scarcity thing in the infield. I'm going to go ahead and take 91 Ripken. Interesting. Crazy season that I didn't really know happened. So I'm going to go MVP Ripken, you know, 91. Uh, Obviously, you're going to get every game out of him. It was between Ripken or A-Rod. And obviously, A-Rod was a shortstop unlike any we've ever seen. You know, I'm fine with either pick. I don't know why I I hedged at the end specifically for Ripken. I mean, if you want to look at war, that's the best of any season of either of the two of them. I don't really have a problem going with either of the two of them. So I just made a choice. I mean, it's certainly a great pick. I didn't really know that Ripken had basically the best season ever by a shortstop because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, not out of nowhere, obviously. He's all of them. But the point is, it's just shocking that he would have the number two best season all time to be taken in one of these drafts. Um, yeah, I think, again. But, he, but it's it's definitely a warranted case. Like, I have no issue with it. I think, again, the scarcity came into play. You know, I mean, you took a second baseman. I took a shortstop. You know, I'm talking about a premier defensive position and you're getting more offense than you ever really expect to get. Like you're, you're getting a, a 162 OPS plus in a year in which he played every single game. 
you know, you're getting a 940 OPS. He won the MVP. You know, he's getting over 200 hits. Uh, he's got like three and a half D war. Like you're, you're getting everything that you would want. So, I mean, I feel like there is like a lot of stuff at the top here. So it's not, I I don't think I'm going to miss out really on much. I'm going with Ripken. All right. You can go wrong with any of the first picks you can make. There's so much talent up top. Ripken, A-Rod, both very good choices. All right. I guess I have a swing now. I would have also gone the positional scarcity route. And I was planning on going the positional scarcity route. But now that this has happened to me with the number three, four swing, I am going to go in a completely different direction. With my third overall pick, I will be taking 1921 Babe Ruth, which is perhaps the greatest season by a baseball player ever. Um, it's worth anywhere between 12.8 and 14 wins per replacement, which is maybe the highest ever. He had 59 homers. He had 378. He had 177 RBIs. I mean, it's just a nutty season. It is maybe the greatest season ever by probably the greatest player to ever play the game. And the fact that I can draft it at 3-3, even though he'll be stuck in in a corner outfield for me, uh, which is certainly a position that is not shy of awesome seasons. I mean, it's it's annoying that it will be a position that that I could, you know, draft later in the draft and still get awesome numbers. It's hard to pass up on such an amazing, such an amazing season. The other thing is with that, and both of you guys sort of uh, made a pick which is kind of underrated towards chronological scarcity. Yeah. I mean, uh, the 20s is, is two guys. The 20s is, is, is Ruth and Hornsby. And now they're both gone. Um, so I'll see where – it'll be interesting to see where Vic goes in the 20s, but also Vic can wait the 20s out now. Like, he doesn't – I can wait the 20s out. I can wait the Yankees out a little more. Yeah, that's the other thing about Ruth is there are so many other good Yankees that I've now, you know, prevented myself from taking them. But at the same time, I have no issues with taking perhaps the greatest season – ever by anybody and it deserves to go in the first round and now alex murphy don't is do going, it is going to be very mad at me <laughs> i hope i know i hope i, I am know. taking 2000 pedro martin yes the greatest pitching season ever and the fact that i can get it at pick number four is awesome i think i now have the best hitting season and the best pitching season ever Although I didn't take any scarce positions, and I'm kind of left stranded at those scarce positions. And no team scarcity on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those two picks are not scarce. I have now eliminated perhaps the two easiest franchises and the two, uh, and, and the two of the easier positions. But at the same time, I have no qualms about it. I think I have the two best seasons ever, basically. So I'm very happy with my team. I was going to take Pedro on the swing. He's one of my favorite players. Probably is my favorite player of all time. Big Red Sox fan. So definitely wanted to get Pedro. Let's have a small conversation about 2000 Pedro, who had a 174 ERA and a 217 FIP in a year where the next lowest ERA, the next best pitcher in the league that year, had a 370 ERA. I mean, he was two runs better than the next best pitcher. It was the peak of the steroid era, the peak of the American League just being ridiculous offense. It's a year where Roger Clemens put up 3-7, and that was the second best ERA. And Pedro had, I mean, in a year that wasn't so crazily offensively driven, he had one of the best pitching seasons ever. But given the era he was playing in, it is in a league of its own. I mean, it's, a, it's one of the rare 10 more pitching seasons, and it's just outstanding. 
his season set a record for ERA plus of 291, which is absolutely absurd. Before the draft, if I had gotten 1-1, one, one, I was between 2,000 Pedro and 24 Hornsby. I don't know where I would have gone had I got very excited that I was able to snag him in, in the beginning of the second round. I'm not excited. I'm thinking through a couple different things, um, mostly positional, I guess kind of team, maybe also some personal bias. Fuck it. I'm going to go for A.D. Schmidt. It's a great pick. Uh, not a huge amount of really great third baseman. This is an insane season. Once again, a guy who can do it all at the plate, in the field, get an MVP, you get a ring. Not a lot of amazing Philadelphia Phillies, despite being around since 1883. Go yeah, the, the 80s are also a bad decade. I 80s, mean, are, 80s are also a bad decade, I agree. This is the best player in a bunch of bad situations. You can't really go wrong here. So I'm going to go. I was, we'll see if I'll get to make the selection I want the next round, but that's how I'm going for this pick, just to touch on – Mike Schmidt in 1980. Uh, you were talking about the best player to play his position and to play on his franchise in his peak year. Uh, OPS over 1,000, 171. OPS plus 48 home runs. He led the league in homers and RBIs. He was never going to win a batting title, um, and that didn't really matter. Not his best war season, but still pretty comparable. I mean, obviously, he was always as good of a hitter as he would ever be when he was younger. Um, when he was younger, he was better on defense, so that's where you'll see some boosted war numbers there. But I don't care because I've got plenty of picks for the 70s because you're talking about 70 – because, like, you're talking about, like, 74 Schmidt then. And, like I said, 80, you've also – I, you don't really, but like in my mind, I feel like it's inseparable. You've got playoff Schmidt there. Yeah, I have shored up the left side of my infield, which with two of the best left side infielder seasons ever, and I have no qualms about that. Yeah, third base was surprisingly shallow when I was doing my prep for this. In fact, it might be to catcher the most shallow position, which is shocking to me because uh, you think of third base, you don't think of bad hitters. But for some reason, like, I just think that shortstop and second base, where you might typically think of some weaker bats, there are probably better seasons than most of the top-tier third basemen. Uh, third base is really tough, and I think you got the best. Plus, the best. I, I didn't want to be stuck with a mid-tier Philly. I like the Orioles in the sense that I don't care much about the AL, and they're right there, and they're really likable in terms of, like, the players that they have. They've had some tough situations in terms of ownership and stuff like that. But – you know, as Murphy knows, I ride for the Orioles, and so I've got my, you know, my side chick team, and I've got, you know, my wife uh, yeah. in my first two picks. Yeah, it's been a bit of a homer draft for you. Uh, Murphy has now, has now got a swing. Where he doesn't get to make his ultra homer pick. I do not get to make my ultra homer pick, which I really wanted to. But unfortunately, Jacob snagged him from me. But I think... I now have the scarce second base. I'm going to go just for two very, very good seasons overall. I think first we'll talk about the Bonds 2001 pick. Interesting. There are a lot of Bond seasons you can take. Yes. Yeah. Um, 2001, I think pretty obviously that's the one where he hit 73 home runs. He broke the record. 
started off his streak of four straight MVPs um, with 2001. Obviously, he wasn't playing the game as fairly as the rest, but he still OPS damn near 1,400, which is like unheard of in this day and age. This is maybe the best batting season, just a pure power of all time. He got on base over half the time he reached the plate, which may not be as good as the 600 OBP he put up in 2004, but I think the 73 home runs just far and away blasts that out. I almost took 01 Bonds when I took 21 Ruth. Uh, the reason that I didn't is because I knew I was going to take Pedro next, and I didn't want to start off with two guys from the same decade. I think those two seasons stand alone as the two best batting seasons ever. And, you know, it's kind of your pick as to which season you want. And I kind of had a, I was kind of shoehorned into my decision by who I knew I was going to take next. I think the next pick I'm going to make is going to go Ty Cobb's 1911 year. Played a very good center field. He was a very quick man, stole 83 bases, hit above 400 average, won, won an MVP that year. Just a very good year from him. Uh, I think war that year was, yeah, it was a 10.7 war on baseball reference. So it was very valuable to his team. Hey, stole a lot of bases, 83 steals. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy season. Ty Cobb put up ridiculous numbers yeah. throughout his career. Led the league in total bases with 367 of them. Which yeah, that's the thing is he's more of a power hitter than people give him credit for. I mean, his home run totals are low because his home run totals are going to be low. He also spans a, an interesting period of baseball history. Because, like, when he comes into – I mean, he's awesome throughout his entire career. But when he comes into baseball, it's kind of the era of, like, dead ball, Honus Wagner, like, early, early primitive baseball. And by the time he leaves baseball, it's, like, you know, post it's – not, it's not post-Ruth, but it's, like, late career Ruth, live ball. It's, just, it's very different games. He kind of really – was the sole focal point throughout a, a crazy, you know, transition in the history of baseball throughout a, you know, well over twenty-year career. And that sort of anchor in the past and usher in like presider of the future, sort of standing on that doorstep there, is probably a big reason why this man, for a long, long time, was considered the greatest ever. You're talking about the first, the inaugural Hall of Fame induction. Babe Ruth is not getting the most votes. Ty Cobb is getting the most votes. You're talking about like a baseball at a hundred years old pole. Ty Cobb, again, you know, is voted as the greatest player of, of the first hundred years of baseball. So taking the best season from someone long after he retired was considered the GOAT. You know, and you're getting that at the top of the third round, not bad. You are going to have to get someone, you know, for your locker room. Because yeah. it's going to be it's gonna be a nasty locker room with yeah. Rogers Hornsby and Ty Cobb and Barry Bonds. <laughs> I mean, this, this is not a locker room I want to be in. This is a terrible locker room. I'm not necessarily going to be talking with Pedro and Ruth, but Pedro and Ruth are not nearly Hornsby, Cobb, and Bonds. <laughs> I did draft some jackasses i'll say that much <laughs> and i'm gonna take 72 johnny bench i have gone with three straight mvps go figure this is before you know two straight rings um but 72 bench put up 8.6 b war you're talking about a 166 ops plus 
and maybe the greatest defensive catcher of all time. Again, catcher, not a position you're going to find a lot of guys you want. Even when it comes to someone like Mike Piazza, I, you know, I take pause because I don't like his defense. But again, I'm taking someone that can legitimately do everything. And I know that I can wait a little bit on really big marquee guys at marquee positions and on marquee teams. So the Reds, again, a very historic team. They don't have a ton of guys who I really, really want. Bench is one of them. I'm taking Bench. I, I will say I love the Johnny Bench season. Uh, it is not my number one catcher season on my board. I have a different it's, it's tied with the other one for me. Um, I don't know if we have the same two catcher seasons there, but I mean, there are two that are atop there. All right, so I've got a swing now, uh, and I will go pure team scarcity and a little bit decade scarcity, not quite fully decade scarcity, but definitely, definitely team scarcity. I will be taking 2012 Mike Trout. All right. So I'll put Trout in center. Uh, I mean, this is rookie year Trout. It's crazy that that might be his best season. That's my uh, Trout season too. That is, that, yeah, that is definitely my Trout season too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's certainly an interesting – I mean, there's definitely other Trout seasons that are very impressive. Oftentimes those other impressive Trout seasons were cut short by injury. The other thing about this Trout season is it is, it is power speed Trout season. He stole almost 50 bases. He hit 30 home runs. He hit 326. It's those all-around version of Mike Trout that we saw. Um, and not an MVP because uh, of Miguel Cabrera's triple crown. I think Miguel Cabrera should have won that MVP. Mickey MVP. No, but if Miguel Cabrera doesn't accomplish that feat, if someone gets like, a couple more RBIs or you know hits one more home run than him, Mike Trout's the MVP. Mike Trout's the MVP. Easy. And um, and this is a crazy crazy season by Mike Trout. Um, I, he you know doesn't quite have the eye that he has nowadays, but it's just it's one of the crazier seasons ever. He put up ten and a half WAR in only 139 games. And the Angels, as an organization, not a lot of high war seasons. Um, after all of the Trout seasons, the next highest is by Darren Erstad. I doubt he gets drafted here. I will be going to be taking it 1908 Honus Wagner. Okay, yeah, that's my Honus Wagner season too. Good pick. Yeah, I was between. I was going to do 2000 A Rod, but then I realized I already had 2000 Pedro. So then I was going to take a 90s A Rod season. Um, but I kind of thought that there were more guys in the 90s that I liked than guys in the 1900s that I liked. Um, so I figured I would snag probably uh, – with Cobb off the board, uh, even though he's not off the board in a 1900 season, I have the best player from the 1900 era, uh, 1900 to 1910. And I think the second best player is off the board, which means that it's going to be tough to get a player from that decade. And now I've got that guy playing shortstop for me, which is one of the most scarce positions – Otis Wagner is probably known as, you know, baseball's first superstar. He didn't really even start playing baseball that well until he was like 26. Uh, he, this season, this is 1908 season, which is his age 34 season. Uh, he put up 11 and a half wins above replacement. He hit 354. He led the league in OPS. He led the league in triples. He led the league in doubles. He led the league in hits. He led the league, you know, in all the slash line categories. He stole 53 bases. Um, he led the league in RBI. He was only a couple home runs away from, from winning the triple crown. I think he was only a home run away from winning the triple crown, although uh, an early version of the triple crown. It's definitely his best season, in my opinion. Yeah, good pick. A-Rod, A-Rod is, is, is getting, uh, getting some real shit here. He, he could have been the number two overall pick. I almost took him there, and now he's going he's gonna to keep falling, and two of us already have shortstops. That's going to be 
a steal for Murphy for sure. I'm going to make a decade and team pick, but also, I mean, this guy is unimpeachable. I'm going to take 13, Walter Johnson. Big train. I need a decade guy. That's a really underrated scarcity here. I might be going too much scarcity, but again, there are so many talented guys that I'm really confident I'm going to get dudes on the back, and I think it can make another scarcity pick before I take uh, an obvious guy, especially considering that both of you guys have two outfield positions filled already. You know, you put up 15.1 or I mean, you're talking about a 259 ERA plus. Uh, you're talking to Walter Johnson, who's 25 years old. You can't discount. I know he pitched in 1913, but you can't discount the fact that this is someone thought by many as the greatest pitcher of all time. You know, I don't necessarily argue with it. Obviously, I didn't get to see him. He's just from just before my time. I think he holds up. I feel like Jacob looks kind of shocked at my pick. It brought- no, I'm not shocked. I'm just looking at, I'm looking at a list. You're overselling the scarcity of this pick. I think it's probably the second best pitching season ever, only to that Pedro season. So it's definitely not a scarcity pick. I think you get the second best starter. And it happens to be that he's much more scarce in terms of value than Pedro. And team. I mean, the twins. I mean, everything about him is it's much more difficult about, you know, for him than Pedro. Um, so you get, you get your 1913, which means I can wait on my, my 1910s player because I am the only person to not draft a 1910s player to this point. Uh, although the two best 1910s players are almost certainly off the board. Quick thing about Train's stats, one one four ERA, 346 innings pitched, 243 strikeouts, 259 ERA plus a 195th, 0.78 whip. He won the MVP that year. I'm managing to get a lot of MVPs. Now I just have to decide which A-Rod season I want. That's also a difficult thing, yeah. Uh, especially because he spans two decades. So it's kind of like his best yeah. season is probably 2000, but the 2000s is probably easier to get players in the 90s. It's a, it's a... It's also tempting to take an A-Rod third base season. I mean, yeah. not because it's a much less scarce team, but I mean, it's also a decently shallow position. And if you're talking about the best A-Rod at the plate, you know, you're probably talking about like 07 A-Rod or something like that. So I'm going to take a Mariners A-Rod. Now, I already took Bonds, so I'm thinking I maybe want to take something like 1996 A-Rod. I also, you, you, like, there's only 12 decades and there's 20 roster spots, so eight of your guys are going to double up decades. It's not like yeah. the end of the world if you do it now. But I mean, I'd like to at least not have to double up now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I'm going to actually have to go with 1996 A-Rod. It feels weird because in my draft prep, I was definitely thinking of 2000. Seeing as bonds fell to me, I just kind of want that. It's filling another decade. A lot of this draft is splitting hairs. I don't really think there's a big difference between, you know, two different vintages. I mean, you could even go like 02 or 03 A-Rod. I think I'm going to have to take Carlton. Specifically. 72. 72, yeah. So there is the first team to be represented twice. Yes. Oh, well, now that, you know, no one can take a Philly, I will say that 08 Utley is one of the guys I'm looking at at second base, although I'm not clear that's going to be the pick I make. If I make the pick, it's not because he's the best player available, because it's a homer pick. Okay, so there are a couple things I could do. There is a positional scarcity thing. I'm going to go with 46 
Bob Feller. Considering taking a Feller, although I wasn't considering taking that Feller, and you made my next decision all that much easier. There you go. Um, I only live to serve you. So I don't have a 40s yet. Prime Feller, he's 27. He's got a great fifth. He's got like, I, like, this isn't the fourth best pitcher season of all time, but I need a, I need a decade. I don't have Cleveland, you know, not the best history. They don't have an insane amount of players. I'm really going for, for – I'm really riding for early speed here. I'm taking guys – I'm taking – Pitchers of a bygone era that I think really hold up to modern day pitchers. You know, for the most part, modern day pitchers can be replaced a little more easily. But if I'm going for guys from the first half of the 1900s, I'm taking the two guys that can throw the most gas. He pitched 371 innings. He struck out 348 batters. He's going to walk a lot of people, but he had a 151 ERA plus, a 218 ERA, and a 216 fifth a 116 whip. So one of the reasons I was considering a Feller vintage is because I think that maybe the 80s and the 30s are the two thinnest decades in terms of talent. Um, maybe the 40s, you could throw that in there, although maybe, I don't know. But the 30s are one of the thinnest decades by far. Um, and the player to get in the 30s is Lou Gehrig. I, of course, with Barry Bo- not with Barry Bonds, with Babe Ruth, cannot take Lou Gehrig. And if I cannot take Lou Gehrig, there is only one other option in the 30s that I feel any good about, and that is taking Jimmy Fox. And so I will be snagging 1932 Jimmy Fox. That is an MVP season for him, the first of two straight MVPs. It's his highest war season ever at 10.4. He hit 58 home runs. He drove in 170. He hit 364 with a 1218 OPS, 207 OPS plus. I mean, it's just a crazy season. The way I see my lineup right now, I mean, it depends on who I, who I pick later. I'll throw Wagner one, Trout two, Ruth three, Fox four. And I think that's a, a top four in a lineup that can uh, rival the best of anybody's. And I got 2000 Pedro on the bump starting, uh, starting a series. I am a little bit sad about burning the athletics on Jimmy Fox. I mean, so many teams have great first basemen. Uh, but the Athletics have a unique history of a bunch of good players. So, I mean, the Athletics might even be the third best team in terms yeah. of... Yeah. Oh, I got the Yeah, the A's have plenty of... Talent across the board. Players, and, yeah, there are a lot of first basemen. Though, you're right, decade-wise, that's a good pick. If I, if I had the Yankees available, the pick would have been Gehrig. But with Ruth already on my team... I but I mean, I, like, you're looking at the first five rounds, Jacob, you've got a Red Sox, you've got a Yankee, and you've got an Athletic. I, I'm aware that I have that. I've been, I've been saving, honestly. I've been saving kind of my obscure position picks. I definitely have guys at obscure positions that I'm planning on taking. It's just that they – or not obscure positions, but obscure teams that I'm planning on taking. It's just that the way the draft has gone thus far with you guys chasing scarcity, for me, the best play, I think, has been to not chase scarcity. I think the second best guys in a lot of scarce situations are still good, and a lot of them are sitting there for there for me to take whenever the hell I want to. We look at Murphy's team. We've got some position scarcity here. We've got the 1910s, 1920s. But, yeah, Murphy, what are your thoughts on your team? It's nice to get those new teams out of the way just because they are a little bit more scarce, and they kind of are – I guess I should say decade locked because with the Yankees, for example, you can get good Yankees anywhere you want, but you can really only get a good Mariner from like one or two different. Yankees. 
Yeah, I think that's going to play into my my upcoming decision making as well. One more note on Murphy's team. He added a rod to an already tense locker room. I oh, mean, yeah. how is he going to make this work? And like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The media does not have to worry at all about Steve Carlton. He's not going to talk to them one bit, so they can glom onto a rod and Bonds and and Ty Cobb. I mean, he's got. It's going to be a tough manager job. Actually, can I can I throw out uh, an additional suggestion? Yeah, what's that? Can we okay. add managers? I think a manager. All the same rules apply. We have to hit every decade. The manager can't come from a team you already picked. But I'd like to add managers because I'd like to you know get guys who can control the clubhouse a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So yeah, we'll we'll add managers. Going to my team, I've I think I've got the least sexy team. You know. I definitely have all-time greats. I, I think I've got some of the greatest people to play their position. And I've got the best player from every team for the most part. I, I think for the most part, we, at this point, we all have the best player from every team, with the exception of maybe the Carlton pick. I think you clearly have the best player from every team, whereas we have more debate cases. I think so. And I think that's because I picked from the Indians, the Twins, the Reds, the Phillies and the Orioles, who all have good histories, but if you're talking about all-time great players or all-time great player seasons, not the deepest wells. There's certainly less of them. Um, and I went with shortstop, third base, catcher, and then early decade starting pitchers. But I think that the only team scarcity that matters is expansion teams. I still think that even though you're like, oh, yeah, well, there's no good Phillies, there's no good Reds, there's no good Orioles. Over the course of their massive history, individual seasons have been awesome. Yeah. I could make a case for taking Brady Anderson's Orioles season. Like, I mean, I just – I think that the only teams real team scarcity are newer teams, which is why I think, like, Trout is a good example of team scarcity – um, more so than someone like Schmidt is, even though I do agree with you. He's clearly the best Philly, right? Yeah, but that's the other thing is that team scarcity doesn't matter as much when we shift this from a 25-team exercise to a 23-team exercise. Now, a third of the teams aren't even going to appear on your roster. So, you know, you can really avoid the dynasty. So you can really avoid the expansion teams. You know, you can – if. Mike Trout gets picked, I can say, okay, Angels are off my board entirely. Like, I don't, I don't need to care about them. It's okay to, to throw out one team. Yeah, we're going to clean up in the next couple rounds and take some players that definitely should have already been taken. Yeah. There's one season that I, I would have taken three rounds ago had I not blocked myself from doing it, and I'm shocked that one of the two of you hasn't. 